Hello, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and today I'm here with Danila Pocha, and he is the chief evangelist, Amia. We'll talk a little bit about Amia and that territory. My gosh, it's huge. Uh, you know, we've got Europe and we've got other countries in there. Um, I've seen you doing stuff for years at AWS. You know, as a as an Amazonian, I can say I just I love everything you're doing. You're one of those people that the passion shows through, and you're so knowledgeable. You can talk at this high level. And then you can dive deep into things. And that's always, I've always been impressed by that. And when we were chatting about doing a possible episode, you were doing things around observability and sustainability. And I think for a lot of listeners, you know, maybe they've seen and they, you know, if they've had conversations around sustainability, you know, Amazon is a culture of observability <laughs> for sure. Uh, and so I think this will be a really interesting conversation for folks. And if we go too long, we could we can break it into a two-parter because I know you're someone who loves to give lots of practical advice. Uh, so, so thank you for taking the time and, and coming to talk to me today. Thank you, Dave. And hey, hi to everyone who's listening. Uh, yeah, yeah. So with my role as chief evangelist, I covering quite a large territory, you know, Europe, Middle East and Africa. It's, I think I visited probably 5% of that territory uh, in person. It's so <laughs> huge uh, and full of potential. You no, know, we're, uh, for example, that just recently we opened uh, a position for a developer advocate in Nigeria. So it's something that it's really growing. Uh, countries like Africa are really promising. Incredible. I just just to see that that area grow and and, and the team grow. It's it, it's got to be exciting. What was your journey like to AWS and and the cloud? How did you how did you get started? Oh, just it's just been ten years that I'm in uh, in AWS uh, and uh, congrats. I, Thank you. And it started just a few months before. Uh, I was uh, living in Rome, Italy, doing my work for another company, but I was not satisfied because I was feeling now that I, doing IT, uh, developing software and bringing it in production was really too complex. And I started to do online training. There was this company that then became uh, Coursera, but at the time they started without no a name. And they started doing some free training from Stanford University, like I did machine learning training for, for me, you know, born and raised in, in Italy, being able to do for free a training from uh, Stanford University was like a, a dream coming through. So I did yeah. this and I did the first one. It was exciting. Then I did the, the second training was on uh, building a, a software as a service. It was a, a, a course from Berkeley University, and they gave me twenty-five dollars of credits for AWS. And I said, "Okay, let's let's see this thing." Now I was used to physical computers, wiring, firmware updates, all these kind of things that get complicated over time. And then I started an EC2 instance, and in a, we were using Ruby on Rails in this training, and we built yeah. a software as a service product. And it was like live on the internet, maybe not highly available and everything, but was there in a, and I could do everything from my from my sofa uh, with just a few clicks. So it was really like eye opener for me. Like this is this is going to be the future, right? So AWS reached out or saw your your courses or you saw a, an an open role. So my only contact at the time with AWS was with uh, an Italian guy who was uh, an evangelist at the time. It was uh, his name is Simone Brunozzi, uh, and uh, so with these credits and the, knowing this person, I start to look for open position. And and when I look in the website, they were looking for an Italian speaking solution architect. 
Uh, and oh, I wow. saw like uh, like destiny. I say, okay, this means something. I do the training. They give me the credits. I see the open position for someone that is Italian speaking. Now my English at the time was even worse than what is now. So it was really like, okay, let's. I can do my job in Italian. That that's great. So I applied, and at the time, AWS, especially in Europe, was very small. So it took like uh, ages. Like after when I lost any. Uh, any hope they called me back then we had uh, like two three phone screens and then i was booked for a, a full day of interviews in person at the time uh it was before covid <laughs> and yeah. uh, and i met all these amazing people so i came back from these interviews like galvanized okay this is amazing uh, uh, all my fingers were crossed and then they called me back i say okay so at the i think it was the end of may from february to may it took like quite a few months and they told me, okay, yeah, we, we can hire you. And I think my negotiation skills were very low at the time. So, okay, like I, I join whatever you give me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm horrible at that. I even, even like just trying to talk about the podcast and stuff, I always just feel weird, you know? And I think, I think people, in, engineers are like that. And uh, some of it's cultural too, depending on where you, where you travel in the world and talking about stuff. And uh, I remember when you started, just the, uh, I think it was um, Adam, right? And and building out that that team and and seeing it reinvent and seeing that growth. I mean, the the regions were still being built out, right? I mean, I think I was in uh, I think it was an app store doing Kindle stuff <laughs> and seeing everything that you were doing here on the on the AWS side to be able to see that that kind of expand. Yeah, I remember your work as well. You know, when then Alexa started, it was such a such a big thing at the time, you no? Know, because it was <laughs> something completely new. Yeah. yeah, when I when I started, actually, I was a solution architect that focused on on Italy, you now that's the and and a, and a, and a few other countries in 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 Europe. It, it was exciting, and I started to do things uh, for multiple customers at once because it was just too many customers and not enough people. So I started yeah. to organize you no know, webinars, uh, speaking to conferences. Uh, organizing like morning breakfast with 10, 20 customers to explain you know, something that you could do with AWS. And I enjoyed it. So I, I could see that uh, maybe with my skills, my uh, what I like to do, it was more effective. I could do more things in this one-to-many activities than in the one-to-one engagement as a solution architect. And then I moved after a two, three years into this uh, evangelist developer advocate role that I kept ever since. Love it. And there, how many how many talks have you done? Do you uh, do you have a collection of badges by now? Uh, and how many countries you've been to? Funny, since no, I, I I relocated a couple of times, and and uh, and the, the more I move I move to more expensive place, the more the, the square meters of my house reduces. <laughs> so all my badges, not everyone, but most of them are in my family home in uh, with uh, my parents in Rome. Uh, so my my father has the all the the badges close to where he sits. Uh, yeah, many of those. Awesome. That's my picture. You can see the picture of me you know, over time, <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes he wears them when I call them uh, <laughs> to to say hi. Oh wow, that's so cool! Like it's a great thing to like keep as a memory too. Like you can make a. I've seen advocates make like trees out of them, you know, where you have everything <laughs> hanging down, and you can you can see it all come out. It's it, it's great. So. There's, there's so many things that we could talk about. Let's focus on sustainability and observability for this conversation. I know it's an area that you're passionate about. I guess let, let's baseline just what is sustainability? Uh, that's a great question you know, because 
we hear a lot this word being used, no? but uh, uh, not, not very often we, we reflect to, to the meaning of the, the, of the word itself. No? And, and uh, I think uh, uh, two, three weeks ago, one of the AWS serverless heroes, Shim Brizals, he, he works for Lego, he did a presentation at Serverless Days Paris, and he started with the definition of sustainability. And for me, it was really, you know, like, again, a... Uh, like say, okay, this, there's really a, no, a, a, a meaning behind the word that is not just what we normally use, no? Because we say something is sustainable if if, you, if there is a process now that keeps something going on for a prolonged period of time. Uh, normally, you know, you, uh, we use the words in different contexts. Now we can say sustainable environment, but we can also say, you know, this company has financial sustainability. It's a completely different uh, field, no area, but uh, the meaning is the same. Over a long period of time, there's a process that gives you no know, more energy, food, resources to keep this thing going on. And and it's being used a lot you now with the environment. Uh, I think starting from the 1980s, uh, there was a United Nations Commission that started to, to use the, the terminology sustainable development to say, you no, know, we need to evolve our world so that it, it meets both the standards of the present, the needs of the present, but also the needs of the future. Uh, we can't just you know, burn things to, to what we need today and then forget what will happen in the future. And, and that's the, the idea of sustainability. It can be applied to different uh, different scopes. For the applications that we write, what does sustainability mean? If we focus on the environment need, uh, it's the idea that we need to think about the resources that are used by our application to, to run, normally in production, but sometimes also test environments or build environments can be hungry in terms of resources. And optimize no, the way the, the resources are used, especially compute and storage. These are the two areas where uh, we can do a lot of uh, optimization and use less resources. This is the, the, the key area uh, that, that, that as, especially as developer and as DevOps practitioners, we can focus on. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because, you know, you think of things like service, serverless and infrastructure as code. And I mean, I, even, you know, uh, Alexa developers like this with Lambda, like we've, we've gotten more and more away from the hardware and we're thinking less and less about what's that energy consumption. But it's true, right? There's direct, these things, processors are using electricity, storage. How does renewables fit into this and, and the different scopes of an actual facility. I know AWS, we have uh, goals around, you know, sustainability at our different sites. How does that kind of fit into, into everything that a developer should be thinking about? Is there shared responsibility there? Um, how, do you, how do you think and break that apart? Yeah, definitely there's a shared responsibility when you use you know, a cloud provider. Uh, and more in general, there are different scopes. I, I like the distinction that is done by the, the it's called the, the, the greenhouse gas protocol. This is not the, the the mostly most widely used uh, gas accounting standard, uh, and there are three scopes there. Now, the scope one is the direct emission uh, that something does. Now, this is applicable to software, but also to any to any industries. Direct emission normally is no fuel, anything that burns, uh, uh, and the solution there is to electrify everything. So, as a, if you're using a data center, normally you only go into scope one if you have a local generator of energy that you use in case you no know, the main energy supplier stops giving you the energy so the local generator normally can burn things like coal or gas uh, and that's where scope 1 can can uh, can enter uh, scope 2 is probably the most important for software is the energy you use uh, it's normally energy that you purchase for running a data center and, and there what we can do is uh, as a developer no we can focus on reducing the energy usage 
But if you manage the data center, uh, you can also focus on uh, buying renewable, uh, renewable energy as much as possible. Uh, and that's what uh, Amazon is doing, for example, and AWS is part of this. So we have a, a plan to, uh, to go 100% uh, on renewable energy by, by 2025. And, and that's something you know, that helps with scope two. And then there's scope three. That scope three is the, is the tricky one, no? because it's the indirect emissions. It's everything else. No? Uh, normally, what energy is consumed by the supply chain uh, that you need to create or run a product. So uh, in, for a data center, is you know, the, the, the resources that you need to uh, build the hardware equipment, but also the facilities, so the steel and the concrete to build the data center. Uh, so that's scope three, and it's probably the, 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 the trickiest one. Would it be um, if, if if that you were running on prem and you don't have a lot, uh, you know, you have you have more people than you have automated processes? Would that be included in the indirect emissions of people commuting to and from work? You know, the carbon footprint of all that is that something that gets put into that kind of scope three two in your mind? Definitely, definitely, that's definitely indirect emissions and the fact that you need to have people or 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 or, or of movement or any kind of resource. Uh, resources is, is something that generates indirect emissions. So if you can uh, reduce that, you know, that's a benefit, and that's why we need you know, these different scopes to measure all the things. Otherwise, it's very easy that you focus only on one aspect of your energy consumption and forget the others, and maybe that's where you can really do, do something good. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I've never, you know, and I probably should be, I, I, in terms of like moving to the cloud, you know, there's always that conversation around cost and how, how cloud can, um, you know, save so much in cost when you're moving to the cloud from on-prem. But it's an interesting conversation around just sustainability. Like if I'm moving to cloud, does that now become a conversation that companies can have, especially in Europe? I mean, you hear about the energy debate and everything and renewables and stuff going on um, by moving pieces of my business to the cloud, am I now able to actually show, uh, you know, a reduction in emissions and, and uh, you know, moving more towards, towards green by going with the cloud like that? Yes, yes, that's definitely a good call. And, and, and you mentioned now the shared responsibility before, and, and that's you now the, the the model. Now, normally we applied shared. We think about shared responsibility for security. You now it's a good way to explain you know, how security works in the cloud. You now AWS is in charge of security for the hardware and the services that it provides, and you as a customer are in charge of security for uh, the way you use the services, the way you configure the services. You now, if you leave a network port open in a virtual machine, uh, or if you publish your passwords in a public place, that's something that AWS can, can intervene and maybe can only help for mitigating the impact. Uh, similarly, we can do the same for, uh, for, uh, for, uh, for sustainability. You know, uh, AWS has the focus to become 100% uh, renewable and also uh, has the focus to reduce its internal costs. And, and normally, re reducing energy also reduces costs. So these two things go, go together, uh, and it's a good thing. And, and in this way, you know, we, we focus on uh, creating services that are uh, more sustainable, and then you can use them in a way that is sustainable or not, because you can start 100 uh, EC2 instances in parallel to, to do a simple computation because maybe you're not using an efficient algorithm to do so. So how do I, as a developer, make my product sustainable? How would you break that apart? What kind of characteristics do I need to be thinking about? Well, to make something sustainable, uh, I, I see it as an, itera an, uh, an iterative pro project. Uh, so you start to uh, measure what you consume, understand 
what's the impact of the different components of what you built, and then you can define where you should focus your effort to reduce uh, the, the energy consumption. So the first step is really mo monitoring, and to monitor something, you need to have an observable software. That's no, that's the the, the key. Uh, if you don't know what you what you're uh, what you're doing, it's very difficult to to to, op to optimize. I remember now many many years ago, uh, I used to have my first hybrid car, and it was uh, reporting in, in real time, you know, on, on a dis LCD display, the the, the, wow. the fuel consumption. Uh, this is quite common for hybrid cars, I think. Uh, but for me, it, it starts to be a target you now because uh, it, it, for me, it was annoying when I was saying, oh, I'm using a lot of fuel to do this three kilometers <laughs> from where I live to, to work. Does it make sense? Right. Uh, so uh, thinking about knowing the number gave me the goal to lower the number. And I see the same uh, with, uh, with the cloud. Uh, if you can monitor what you're doing, uh, then you can, uh, you can reduce it. Uh, and, and optimize. And there are uh, a few steps there that, that you can implement. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about the car. Like you're driving a car and what were you getting on your, your screen? I'm, you know, speed, consumption, that observability, how do you m measure that in the in internal states and external outputs, all of that together? How do you, how do you monitor that kind of stuff? Well, as humans, it's, it's with practice, it's relatively easy. But if you think it as a, a, as a concept, it's quite complex because you have so many inputs that you have to process in real time. And, and that's the key to observability. Uh, if you look into observability, you know, it, what, what, what you see is that to make something observable, you need to understand the internal state from the external output. That, that's the key. As much as you can know from the external output, the, the more you can you understand what is happening. So uh, if you remove all the displays from a car, uh, you, you can still drive it. Uh, but then you don't know the speed. You can probably figure that out if you're experienced by the things that are moving around, but it starts to get complex. If you completely hide the, 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 the glass in the front of the car and you don't see what's in the front, you can still drive, but how can you take a decision? You don't have the information to take uh, an informed decision if you need to brake, accelerate, steer, and so on. So knowing the, the, the internal state of a system from the outside is the key. And it, it's also something that binds observability with control theory that is a, a, a huge field with many implications. But if, if we look at the theory behind observability, it's really control theory that is applied to, uh, to how you control things. Now the, you can only control things that you know what they are doing. You can control something if you don't have a clue what is happening. Right. And so that's, that's where we get into what's actually observable and what can I actually monitor. And there's, you know, things within AWS services that I can and things where it gets into that shared responsibility that you're talking about. I guess really what you're saying is you don't want to keep everything in a box, right? It's my responsibility as a developer to, to, to think about observability when I'm creating this, this uh, modern application. Yes, definitely, because modern applications are often distributed. So you have distributed components. Now, sometimes we call them microservices, and they all interact together. If you don't know what each of these components is doing internally, uh, then you, you, you lose track uh, of what you can do to optimize this, this, this part of the overall architecture, this component. So normally, you now with observability, you have the three pillars there, you know, the logs, metrics, and traces. And this is something that now I start to see you know, many developers and many DevOps 
uh, teams in the cloud think about, uh, but you need to have logs, metrics uh, collected and stored in a way that allows you to query and run uh, analytics that tells you, you know, what if this happens, what is the impact on, for example, on the CPU usage or in the network usage? Uh, sometimes the, you, normally we do that for uh, for uh, understanding if there is a bug, if there is an issue, or what's the impact is some of the components of my architecture fail on the rest of the architecture. But for uh, sustainability, we need to know that to understand where we can optimize. Now, if you understand that something is consuming a lot of CPU uh, or a lot of memory, you should you should have a look as a developer and see do I really need this or there is a better way to do this. As a developer, what steps could I take for that? Is there tools to look at that? Or is there resources? What would you say are kind of like the starting baseline, the best practices to think about? Oh, we, we updated the, 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 the well-architected framework at the end of last year to, one, to add a new pillar that is the sustainability pillar. So if oh, nice. anyone listening wants to see some, some written stuff, some theory behind that, there's, uh, there's a lot of information there. Normally they are uh, the, the 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 framework makes you ask the right questions, and so that you can understand you know, where to uh, where to change something in your in your applications. And there are many good tips there. But no, the idea is really to reduce the uh, and minimize the the use of resources. So one thing that sometimes people forgets is that you shouldn't uh, accept maybe the initial requirement or the SLAs that company or customers, your customer give to you as, uh, as written words. Sometimes no, people uh, exaggerate. So if they tell you, no, you need to store this data for 10 years, uh, do you really need to store it for 10 years? Uh, right. and maybe, maybe you discover that eight years is the legal requirement. Uh, and maybe you understand that after three years, uh, you don't need to have the data immediately available, but maybe you have 24 hours to access the, the old data. Uh, that means that you can use a colder storage, you know, like on S3, you have you know, the Glacier uh, Deep uh, Archive storage tier that can be uh, uh, used for that. So, uh, and also for CPU, that's a similar usage case. Maybe sometimes they tell you, you know, that the response time must be below 100 milliseconds, and that's you know, very hard to do over the network. And then you understand that actually three seconds is, is more than enough. So, uh, Working on, on requirements and SLAs is the first step. So understanding what you really need to do and, and what is your requirements. Right. And it gets back to what you were talking about with sustainability and thinking of the future. What is that? What's the future impact years from now, not just in my next bill? <laughs> I think what we'll do is we'll pause here and then we can dedicate an entire episode into diving deep on individual things. Like, what does this mean for compute? What does this mean for storage? In the meantime, where can listeners find you online? Oh, mostly on Twitter, where I annoy people with the stuff that I write and the other things that are published <laughs> by AWS and other interesting stuff that I find online. Uh, so normally, I'm, very boring, I'm a very boring person. So I am Danilop, single word on Twitter, on, uh, on almost any, any resource that you can imagine of. Uh, I also uh, uh, share stuff on LinkedIn. There's a different community there, but I enjoy lots of the discussions. Excellent. I'll go ahead and I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me and look forward to the next episode.